you're somebody that's, you know, intimidated by getting into elections and you'd rather be outdoors, sure, there's many of us, but we need to remind our community constantly that if we really want change, we have to engage in this process. It's not a choice. Welcome to MCV Cast. That was Lindsay Burgoyne of the organization Protect Our Winters. We'll hear more from Lindsay about the multifaceted effort to fight climate change on the ground and at the ballot box in a few minutes. I'm Aaron Murphy here with the executive director of Montana Conservation Voters, Whitney Tani in Bozeman. Political director Jake Brown and program director Whitner Chase are dialing in from Helena. But let's begin this week in the U.S. Senate. She'll do a good job. She'll work for us and she'll reach across the aisle. That was Alaska Congressman Don Young, the dean of the U.S. House of Representatives and a conservative Republican. He introduced his colleague, Representative Deb Holland of New Mexico, nominated to be America's next interior secretary. The U.S. Senate Energy and Natural Resource Committee held a two-day hearing for Holland this week. She began by committing to striking a balance between resource management and conservation with open lines of bipartisan communication. As I've learned in this role, there's no question that fossil energy does and will continue to play a major role in America for years to come. I know how important oil and gas revenues are to critical services, but we must also recognize that the energy industry is innovating and our climate challenge must be addressed. Together we can work to position our nation and all of its people for success in the future. And I am committed to working cooperatively with all stakeholders and all of Congress to strike the right balance going forward. Senator Steve Daines serves on the committee and took a lead role in opposing Representative Holland's nomination. Shortly after the hearing, Senator Daines officially announced he will vote against her, citing what he says are radical views. During the hearing, Senator Daines used his time to focus on Holland's past record. Well, game recognizes game, and if that's the route he wants to take, he first needs to answer for his record. We can't forget Senator Daines voted against the Land and Water Conservation Fund before he was for it, or that he pushed for the largest public land giveaway in Montana's history, or that he strongly supported anti-public land zealot William Perry Pendley in charge of the Bureau of Land Management illegally. On Tuesday, Senator Daines continuously mansplained and interrupted Holland while asking questions about the Endangered Species Act and the handful of jobs affected by President Biden's shutdown of the unpopular Keystone XL pipeline. This short highlight reel is the very definition of whataboutism. Do you know what the recovery criteria are for the grizzly bear in the greater Yellowstone ecosystem? Specifically, no, sir. I so so the, the, the answer is 500 bears. And why don't you believe the grizzly management should return back to the states once the recovery targets are met? Well, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be returned back to the states. But but that's what you, your legislation you co-sponsored said. If I'm confirmed as secretary, it is President Biden's agenda that I would move forward, not my own. And um, and I absolutely nobody wants children to not you, have you, you, you earlier said you want to let the science and the data dictate policy and outcomes. Because I realize that the department relies on science. But um, but do, do you support a, a, a broader ban- sense? Do you support a ban on fracking and no new pipelines? Senator Daines kept at it during the second day of questioning. He brought up his support for mining on public lands, which Holland says should be done responsibly. Danes also advocated for trapping animals on public lands, which he said is important for conservation. 
He claimed semiotic weapons are sporting rifles, and he expressed support for using lead ammo and tackle on public lands. He also asked Holland about her support as a lawmaker about something MCV strongly supports. President Joe Biden's plan to conserve at least 30% of U.S. land and ocean by the year 2030. You were the author of the, uh, the 30 by 30 initiative in the House. Uh, as the yeah. primary leader there, uh, this initiative has been exceedingly sparse on details. Does this initiative pertain to just public land or all U.S. lands? Senator, if we could uh, kind of okay. move it along right. a little bit. Thanks. Uh, uh, Senator, the 30 by 30 initiative that President Biden has embraced um, will be an opportunity for so many Americans to participate in conserving uh, that amount of land and water. It's not just relegated to public lands, but we're ho I understand that um, private landowners, Indian tribes, uh, it's, it's an opportunity for everyone to work together. All right. Thank you. The Senate committee hasn't scheduled a vote on Representative Holland's nomination yet. We expect that to happen in the coming weeks. Senator John Tester, by the way, says he will support her confirmation. Senator Daines is getting an earful from all corners of this country. This week, thousands of Montanans lent their names to a full-page newspaper ad urging him to support Holland's nomination, which he ignored. Montana's eight federally recognized tribes also funded ads in support of Holland's nomination, saying, quote, The only radical thing about one of the first people of the land being nominated to care for it is that it took over 244 years to happen. And the Billings Gazette weighed in too. Deb Holland is not a radical, the newspaper wrote. She is a progressive. Her leadership of the interior would send a huge signal to the 10% of Dane's constituents who are Native American and to the rest of us as well. Now to Helena and the Montana legislature, which hits its halfway mark next Wednesday, March 3rd. That means lawmakers are going into overdrive to get any final bills in, because after Wednesday, it'll be too late for most new legislation. And the legislature is still keeping us busy. Jake Brown and Whitner Chase, what are you guys tracking in Helena? Yeah, thanks, Murph. Lots of wild bills out there this week, but let's start first with House Bill 455. The good news is a House committee tabled this bill on Tuesday, but only after loud bipartisan opposition. We think it's important to talk about this because of how easily a single lawmaker can hurt our voting rights. In this case, Republican Representative Lola Shelton Galloway of Great Falls. Her bill would have required voters to sign up for absentee ballots every year, and it would have prevented mail ballots from being sent to any post office boxes. We found it odd that when it came time for Representative Sheldon Galloway to talk about her own bill, she actually deferred to one of her constituents, a Great Falls resident named Tony Roush. She said Roush knows more about the bill than she does. But listen to what happened when Representative Tyson Running Wolf asked Mr. Roush about the impact of this bill in Indigenous communities. Um, are you aware that on most uh, reservations in the state of Montana, that there's no mail delivery service to resident, residential uh, residents and only to P.O. boxes? No, I can't say that I was aware of that. Okay, thank you. Dozens of opponents lined up to oppose this bill on Monday, from tribes to college students to voting rights organizations, unions, disability rights advocates. Here's Joel Peden of the Montana Association of Centers for Independent Living. This bill, intentionally or unintentionally, makes it more difficult for people with disabilities to vote. I get appalled by that. We are the only minority 
that are told time and time again that it's inconvenient to make something accessible or it's too expensive to make sure that we can vote. Mr. Peden, thank yes. you for coming. Thank you. Notably, the Montana Association of Clerks and Recorders also opposed this bill, saying that it would have only created more problems for voters and would put Montana sideways with federal law. We're still very concerned about House Bill 320, which opens the door to the sale of public lands. This dangerous legislation is now before the Montana Senate after passing by a single vote on the House on Monday. It comes from Representative Steve Gunderson of Libby, but we do have some good news to share about House Bill 359. As we reported last week, House Bill 359 would have effectively thrown a wrench in net metering, making it more difficult for customers who generate their own electricity to sell surplus power back to the grid. Here's the bill's sponsor, Representative Larry Brewster of Billings. I actually found out some information just before our meeting today that uh, uh, contradicted things I had been telling people about this bill. And so uh, my pleasure would be to you guys to table this bill today and uh, give me a chance to work with people to see if there's a remedy for that. Because uh, absent me handing out bad information, if there's no remedy, then we won't go forward. As Brewster spoke, outside the hearing room, dozens of opponents lined up to testify against the bill. I was one of them. And then this happened. Do you want to table the bill? Do you want to withdraw the bill? Because if we withdraw the bill, it's dead. Let's just withdraw it. All right. All right. Finally, Whitney and Murph, Senate Bill 115 made its way out of committee since our last episode. This bill would require the Montana Land Board to approve conservation easements paid for by hunters under the Habitat Montana program. This bill adds bureaucracy, creates uncertainty for families that want to protect their ranches, and provides public access. And it will result in far fewer easements extending public access. Speaking of Habitat Montana, Representative Bill Mercer of Billings says he wants to delay the sale of recreational marijuana until 2023. Montana voters overwhelmingly approved legalizing and taxing recreational cannabis last November. That initiative directs about half of the tax revenue from cannabis to fund state-owned public lands, specifically through programs like Habitat Montana. Mercer, a former U.S. attorney, told MTN News, quote, I wonder if the voters had any idea when they adopted this initiative that they were going to increase the state bureaucracy by 100 people within nine months. Well, Representative Mercer, the voters have spoken, and it's pretty clear. One of our biggest challenges still this year is that lawmakers are trying to repurpose those funds. We're in danger of losing a great investment in our great outdoors unless you speak up. MCV is collecting short cell phone video and photo testimonials from as many public land and outdoor enthusiasts as possible. We want you to ask the governor and the legislature to respect the will of your votes and invest this revenue where it belongs to expand access to public lands, to fund state parks, and to protect farms and ranches for future generations. So please take a selfie in your favorite spot outside or film a short video on your phone, no more than 30 seconds, and in one to three sentences, tell our elected leaders that this funding is an investment in our outdoor way of life. Be sure to state your name, where you live, and keep your message short. Then please send your video or photo to MCV at MT Voters by March 3rd. 
We need to mention the strange partisanship surrounding Andrew McKeon. Last November, Governor Steve Bullock nominated McKeon to serve as Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Commissioner. But this past week, a state committee voted against that nomination, saying Governor Greg Gianforte wants someone else in the role. Andrew McKeon is highly qualified for the position. An avid sportsman, he's a resident of Glasgow and the editor-in-chief for Outdoor Life magazine. Nine people showed up to support McKeon's nomination, all of them representing outdoors and sportsmen's organizations. But along party lines, the Senate Fish and Game Committee voted 7-4 to four against him. Governor Gene Forte joined 16 other governors this week, all Republicans, in asking President Biden to reverse the moratorium on new oil and gas leases on federally owned land and waters. Politicians are trying very hard to spin this decision against the facts, And the facts are simple. Most of the energy leases on federal land in Montana are not even being developed right now. Still, Gianforte and the other governors claim Biden's decision incorrectly shifts the burden of energy production on foreign countries. The recent winter storm that blanketed Montana means more snow in our mountains, and more snowpack in the mountains often dictates the severity of wildfire season. But already this winter, in January alone, eastern Montana saw 13 wildfires, which burned more than 3,800 acres. The uncertainty of winter precipitation and what it means for the rest of the year is one of the many consequences of climate change. And this week's guest is on the front lines protecting our winters. Lindsay Burgoyne is the Vice President of Program and Operations for the organization Protect Our Winters, or POW. POW describes itself as a community of athletes, scientists, creatives, and business leaders advancing nonpartisan policies that protect our world today and for future generations. Lindsay is a native Mainer who now calls Colorado home, an avid mountain enthusiast. She joined Protect Our Winters back in 2016. Lindsay, thanks for spending some time on MCVCast. Thanks for having me. That's good to have you. So let's start with your organization. Tell us a bit more about what Protect Our Winters is, what you do, and how. Absolutely. So in short, POW helps passionate outdoor people protect the places and lifestyles they love from climate change. So I think, you know, when we think about the outdoor sports we love to do, um, we're really trying to talk about what are the climate impacts that are going to occur and are occurring on those places and lifestyles and, and how do we fight to protect those. So we work to mobilize the outdoor sports community and we actually call that at POW the outdoor state. So the 50 million Americans who climb, bike, run, hike, ski, fish, um, and really try to gather that community to advocate for systemic solutions on climate change. Awesome. And part of POW's policy agenda is to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. Uh, let's start here. What will it take and what's in the way? Yeah, I think it's really helpful to start here with our theory of change. And at POW, we believe that the technology and policy solutions to solve climate change largely exist. So we know we know how to solve this issue. We know how to do this work, but we don't have the political will to pass these policies. So to build that political will, we think that that needs to come from cultural change. So we need a cultural shift to make climate inaction unacceptable. And I think the outdoor sports community we know has incredible influencers. So athletes, brands, those of us that love to get outside and at POW, we exist to empower that influence. And so I think this is kind of where that that need for systemic change comes in. You know, a lot of us have been told that um, we should believe if we shut our lights off, we ride our bikes to work, we can be part of the solution. And the reality is that's not enough. And 
at how we really embrace imperfect advocacy. And what that means is we're aware that we all have a carbon footprint. Um, it's hard to not have one if you live in the U.S. And even if we shut down the entire ski industry overnight and um, all of its emissions, that's not enough to get us where scientists tell us we need to be back to that carbon neutrality by 2050. And so we need seismic shifts. We need our policymakers to implement solutions that have systemic impact. So it's not just a few more bikes on the road instead of you know a gas-powered vehicle, but instead an entire nation of only electric vehicles powered by clean energy. That's the scale we're advocating for. Lindsay, we'd be remiss not to ask about the historic winter storm that struck the middle part of America this month, especially down in Texas. One of Montana's U.S. senators, like many others, blamed renewable energy. What is your response to an event like this and to the politicians who are using it to push their own agendas? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great timely question, and it's really complex, so I'll attempt to answer it um, pretty briefly. But I think overall, it's really unfortunate to see how deeply divided our political landscape is and that this event was used to drive political agendas. Yes, clean energy faced challenges in, in the face of this historic storm, which we know will um, these kind of types of weather events will only increase in frequency with our warming climate. But the larger issue here is actually the failure of the supply chain of fossil fuel energy. And in the reality that this, this had a lot more to do with our grid and grid infrastructure and how it's laid out in the U.S. and capacity of transmission lines. And so um, I think, you know, POW's take here is we will continue to advocate for rapid deployment of clean energy. That's That's one of the systemic policy changes we've identified that we need to move toward. And with that, you know, as we do that, we can address grid changes and updates that we'll need to not only safeguard against energy shortages in the future, but also move renewable power from place to place, especially given it's typically coming from locations far away from these large populations that need energy. Let's stay a bit longer on the many Americans who simply refuse to believe that the climate is changing or that human activity has nothing to do with it. What is the best way to connect with those folks, especially to turn them into advocates? Yeah, my response to this may sound kind of terse, um, but it's that we actually don't need to convince the climate deniers. Uh, I really like to refer to the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. They put out an annual report called Global Warming Six Americas, and it divides the perspectives here in the U.S. on climate change into categories like alarmed, concerned, doubtful, dismissive. And um, in 2020, only 7% of Americans fall into this dismissive category. That's, that's the climate deniers. And the reality is we don't need to spend time and energy converting these people to advocates. And because to win on climate, what we need is to convert those that are already alarmed and concerned. And the reality is uh, in 2020, that was actually 54% of Americans. So the majority of Americans are concerned about this, and it's our job to, to personally reach out to them, to engage them and empower them in action. So PAL, like our organization, also puts a priority on voting itself. So not just access to voting, but also supporting the rights um, of candidates to affect change. And what specifically do you ensure people who care about protecting our winners understand what's at stake at the ballot box? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's correct. POW does focus on turning out this the outdoor state, the outdoor sports community to vote. And our sister organization, Protect Our Winters Action Fund, does help share tools and resources on how to vote with climate as a top priority. And I guess I would respond to that by saying as a, as a self-proclaimed policy wonk, I'm 
I'm super motivated to walk the halls of Congress and state houses and figure out how to get these policy solutions passed. It's really exciting work, but I think we have to understand the reality that we can show up in DC and Denver and Helena time and time again and knock on doors and ask for action on climate. But if the people behind those doors don't think the issue is real or even a priority, we're not going to get very far. And so if you're somebody that's, you know, intimidated by getting into elections and you'd rather be outdoors, sure, there's many of us, but we need to remind our community constantly that if we really want change, we have to engage in this process. It's not a choice. Lindsay, before you joined Protect Our Winters, you worked with the Outdoor Industry Association, and that organization reminds us how powerful places like Montana and Colorado are in terms of attracting dollars. How is Protecting Our Winters also protecting jobs and economic opportunity? Yeah, great question. Um, The Outdoor Industry Association, I think they've done great work in quantifying the size of our nation's outdoor recreation economy and which is now um, actually thanks to bipartisan legislation recently uh, counted as part of U.S. GDP. And OIA says nationally we're an $887 billion industry. And to put that into context, that's huge. That's larger than pharmaceuticals and auto parts and actually almost larger than the sum of those two industries. But these um, these outdoor recreation economies, these, you know, it's businesses, it's jobs, it's opportunities. They all depend on a healthy climate. And we know that climate change negatively impacts all different kinds of outdoor recreation opportunities. So whether that's shorter winters with diminished snowpack to wildfires, closing national forests and trails to warmer rivers um, being off limits to fishing, all of these changes don't foster a thriving economy. So by advocating for reducing emissions and protecting these pastimes, we are absolutely advocating for a thriving outdoor rec economy. Fill us in on some of the campaigns Pow is working on this year and how our listeners can get involved. So we're gearing up, I'm actually excited to share with you all, we're gearing up to launch a new campaign next week. Um, so great, uh, great timing. It's called Crush It for Climate. And the idea is that in 2020, we had nearly 30,000 members um, of Protect Our Winters and supporters make an intention to vote. Um, And we also know that there are 50 million members of the outdoor state out there, which we talked about earlier. So in March, we're really focused on recruitment and growing our community because right now, in the face of administration change, we have the opportunity to really implement that systemic policy change we've been talking about, to really implement sizable emissions reductions. But we know we need a really strong community advocating for that. So we need all voices at the table. Um, so we work with nearly 200 professional athletes and, um, quite a few of them are in Montana and you will see that many of them in the coming weeks will be challenging you to join them in however they personally crush it for climate. So whether that's getting outdoors and reconnecting and remembering why these places are so important to us or reading up on climate impacts, um, and all of our athletes will be challenging you to, to join them in these challenges and recruit a stronger community for POW. So join a challenge and join us. Protect Our Winners was active in the last couple election cycles in Montana. What inspired your organization to be active here? Yeah, so put simply, our community itself is really full of passionate outdoor people who love the places that they play. And, you know, I'm sure that you are both part of this community and there's no shortage of this community in Montana. And so in addition to that incredible outdoor recreation community, there's also been very real opportunities for Protect Our Winters Action Fund to engage and help elect climate champions who will advocate for the protection of both the places and the lifestyles um, that this community really cares about in the face of a changing climate. And that's the reason we wanted to show up. 
Lindsay, is there anything else you want to add? We're just really excited to, to be here and to be present, to be growing our community in Montana and really hoping that you'll join us in our Crush It for Climate campaign next month. Lindsay Burgoyne is the Vice President of Program and Operations for Protect Our Winners. She joins us from Boulder. Lindsay, thanks for joining us on MCBCast. Thanks for having me. The views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of MCV, its staff, or its board of directors. You can find POW online at protectourwinters.org, on Facebook, and Twitter. Montana's lone congressman has introduced a bill that he claims will make it easier to cut down more trees on federal land. Rosendale calls the bill the Forest Information Reform, or FUR Act. If it becomes law, the FUR Act would stipulate that the secretaries of agriculture and interior wouldn't have to start from scratch on forest management plans if those plans threaten a federally protected species like the Canada lynx. That requirement stems from a lawsuit brought forward by the Bozeman-based Cottonwood Law Center. Rosendale says his bill will bring the Forest Service out of a perpetual cycle of litigation and into a new era of efficiency by reversing the disastrous Cottonwood decision. The U.S. Postal Service is making a green upgrade to its fleet of nearly a quarter million vehicles. The USPS announced this week that it awarded a 10-year, multi-billion dollar contract to replace its older Jeep-style trucks with high-tech delivery trucks, many of them electric. You might see the new vehicles in your neighborhood as early as 2023. Hooray for snail mail forever. And as the snow melts and our plans fall into place for the spring, we're asking for our members to save the date on Tuesday, April 6th, 406 day. Get it? On that day, we'll join several other conservation organizations for a COVID-safe public lands rally across the state. Stay tuned for details, but please mark your calendars now. That does it for this week on MCV Cast. Next week, a conversation with the folks behind the Snowbird Fund. That's a new initiative to help indigenous families searching for missing loved ones. You worry about climate change? Oh, no doubt about it. I worry about it as a farmer because I've seen what's happened on this place in the last 40 plus years. I worry about it as a polish maker because I've seen the hundreds of billion dollars go out the door for natural disasters. And we'll leave you today with some sounds from Showtime's The Circus. This week, the show trekked out to Senator John Tester's snowy farm in Big Sandy. Tester weighed in on the Keystone XL pipeline, and he also came to the rescue of the TV crew. We'll be back next week. There was two guys that were stuck with, that were with the minivan a couple hundred yards off of the highway. Stuck. Stuck. What's happening is we got one of our vehicles stuck in the very snowy uh, road. So I just don't think you're going to get it out without a tractor. Really? You're going to do this for it? You're going to like get your tractor for us? Well, it's either that or we just leave it there till spring. Spring's not far away, though. Your front wheels are turning.